We have been in Matthew for quite some time, and as we draw to a conclusion, I'm not going to um, probably go into chapter 24 as I'm dealing with parts of that in the Bible study. I'll probably, when we complete this, be heading back to the Old, or heading to the Old Testament. It's been a while. Not quite sure just yet where the Lord is going to be leading, but that's the plan at this particular time. Matthew chapter 23, verses 29 through 39. Before I read, would you please stand? Would you please stand? Would you join me in prayer? The fires in northern and southern California have helped us to see that we can never take anything for granted. So many lives lost. People losing everything. Firefighters fighting the flames. Police trying to protect property. And today we are praying that you will, God, help those that have lost everything. We are praying that we will be able to know exactly what part we are to play. We are going to help, but show us, God, the impact or just where you would want us to be able to give support. We thank you for this church, the ministry, the people, the lives that are touched outside of these walls. We thank you that you have given us the privilege and opportunity to share the good news with people, to be just kind to people, to love one another. We thank you that you allow us to gather in this place for prayer and to to be able to exalt the matchless name of Christ. Now we pray today that you will give us ears to hear. We thank you that you have blessed us and that you are still on the throne. There's nothing that you cannot do. You are the great and mighty king. Now keep us alert. Keep us mindful of the things that we hear. We're giving him all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 23, verses 29 through 39. Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 29. And this is what it says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
The Lord bless the reading of his word. On yesterday marked the three-month day in which my wife and I had not been able to walk together. It was July the 21st, the last time that we had walked together because of an injury that she had in her leg. And so yesterday marked the first day back on the road, and lo and behold, we were seen by somebody. Never know who's watching you. It was Sister Michelle who said, I saw you yesterday. Out there running around, you got into a stoplight, and you didn't want to slow down, you all just running around in circles, something like that. But we were out walking. We covered a, uh, the, the, the span or the area of about seven miles. I felt it today. Felt it last night. I'm doing better today. It had just been a couple of weeks since I had last walked. You, do you not know that those fibers will tighten up real quick? Just two weeks, and I was sore last night and today, but I'm doing better. So I just, I'm glad that we were able to be out there again. Do you not know that there was a lady that I, I sometimes run into out there? He says, where's the lady that, that's with you? And that was my, my wife. They know there are people that sometimes we don't even recognize who say, oh, I see you guys walking all the time. Don't even know them. Be careful. What you do, because you never know who's watching. So I won't beat my wife out, out there, just in the house. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding, y'all. I don't do that now. Come on now. <laughs> the title, as we have for the third week and the final, The Hypocrites, Actors on Stage, Part 3. The Hypocrites. Actors on stage, part three. The number seven has been very significant in the Bible. As we have looked at the seven woes that actually deal with the seven woes today, seven is significant. The number seven often means complete or completion. Sometimes the word perfect is used. It does not mean that a person is without fault. But it means that something has been brought to its full measure or completion. The Lord made this world in six days and he rested on the seventh. He put the moon in the sky and the sun and the stars and it still is there today. It runs because God is the one who not only orchestrates but he also sees that everything remains in place. The seven woes of Jesus was not only a pronouncement of warning and judgment on the Pharisees and, and the scribes, but of, it, it also suggested there, that it was one of regret and compassion, according to one commentator. In the seventh and final woe by Jesus, his compassion is still being shown through the warnings. He has been given. Do you not know that God's love is shown to you in the fact that he's willing to warn you when you're not in the right? He sends out a warning to let you know that there's something that needs to be cleaned up. And it is his, it's his, it's his compassion that does this. If he didn't care, he wouldn't say anything. With the constant rejection of the will of God also comes condemnation. Sin causes one to be blind to the dangers of eternity, 
that lies ahead for that person who does not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejection of the will of God will cause people to believe that they are not only okay with God, but that their righteousness really exceeds that of other people. You will often find people say that I think I'm okay and that the Lord will accept me. I'll just tell them how good I've been. You are not that good. Your righteousness does not measure up. It does not mean you cannot do good deeds, but you cannot bank on your own righteousness getting you into heaven. Have you ever had an evil thought? You are now disqualified. Just with the thought that would... Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me clarify something. Now, it is not that a wrong thought went through your mind and kept going. It's when you had that thought to park there and you began to entertain it. Entertain it, and then not only entertain it, began to move on it. You see, it is, it is, it is something that we've got to consider... That when we come to the Lord, we've got to come to him saying, God, I've come to you empty. i come to you bankrupt. Now, some of you are bankrupt. We have all been bankrupt at one time. It means that we don't have enough in order to cover our debts. In other words, it is so far in the red that we've got to start all over again. Your assets are not enough. Just way over. And then you have the ability to file a chapter 7 or 13 so that you can start over. But let me throw out something. This is not even part of the message. Just let me throw this out there. I'm going to surprise some of y'all with this. Maybe. Filing bankruptcy for the Christian does not mean that you are still not obligated to pay your bills back. Very quiet. Amen. Amen. Filing bankruptcy for the Christian does not mean that you are not obligated to still pay your debt back. If you were the one to get yourself in such debt, the courts may allow you to say, okay, we forgive you, but as a child of God in honoring the Lord... He still says that you ought to pay back what you've done in the system in which we live. Now, that's a shocker for many people. Because we don't operate according to the world's standards, what we have to remember is that we have a higher responsibility and calling to God as God's people. Now, it does not mean that you cannot or that you may not pay back, but I'm just letting you know that as a general rule, you don't find the Lord saying that it is okay. Society may give you that. The courts may, legally, but as a believer, you should work to pay back. Now, if a person owes you something and you forgive them, then they're forgiven. They may not have to. But if 20 years down the road, you're saying they still haven't paid me back and I ain't forgot it, it's saying something. It's saying that, no, you still expect them to give you what you owe or what they owe. As a believer, we might file, but we have to remember, we have to be very careful. That's why it's very important that you do not and should not co-sign for people 
and take on their obligation because you're saying that I'm willing to do it and pay back if they can. And I, that's free. That's not even part of what I, 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 was, I, was, I was heading. Now, why do I say that? Because one of the things that we have to be very careful is that as a believing body of Christ, we have to be careful how we handle business and what we do. Now, I'm not saying, I'm going to move on from here, that if one has filed, that one has to go back. But I'm just saying be very, very careful. And it doesn't mean that one has not, has not fallen on hard times. Even from here, there's some things that we had run into debt on that we still got to deal with. I'm still planning to deal with it, even though it happened way in the back before. When I wasn't involved, we're going to address it, and we are. Because why? We have a responsibility to handle the business that the Lord has given. It is always dangerous and a dangerous place to say. It's da- very dangerous to say that we are something when Jesus says that we are not. Be careful elevating yourself and putting yourself in a place where the Lord says that you need to humble yourself. It is dangerous to say that we are unlike a certain group when Jesus has been resisted and one does not welcome him. We can say we are a treasured possession only when we have accepted the Lord as Savior when he has done the work. We are a treasured possession When the Lord has done the work to make the change. The religious leaders that Jesus is addressing consider themselves different than their forefathers. Those who had killed the prophets and abused those sages. They killed the prophets, killed the sages. Sages means a wise person that God had sent them. It is always wise to sit up straight and listen to Jesus when he has something that he is saying. And especially it is important when Jesus says and starts a sentence with the word woe. It is with the seventh woe that the completion and full measure of what awaits the scribes, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders, and those who have rejected him are summed up. This seventh woe. Point number one, making pretty the tombs. Matthew 23, 29 through 31. Paying attention to detail can be very good unless it is in the wrong direction. The religious leaders were very good about paying attention to detail and minute things. But it was often in the wrong direction and for the wrong thing. They majored in those things that they really should not have majored in. They minored in the things that they should not have. The scribes and the Pharisees have been building the tombs of the prophets and decorating the monuments of the righteous out of guilt for how their forefathers and fathers treated the prophets sent to them by God. They have failed to see the ultimate The ultimate contradiction in their actions. One of the difficulties in life is when you can always see the fault in another person and never see your own. The religious leaders were always very good about seeing the fault in others. But it was hard for them to see their own fault. They are continuing in the same vein as their fathers. Now last week we noted in the verse right above in 
verses 20, verse 27, the Lord says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. The Lord made that prediction and said that this is what they were like. Now the Lord is saying in this next piece here that they are now building these tombs for the prophets. Why? They recognized that their fathers had been killing the prophets before and they evidently felt bad. You see, in the Old Testament, do you not know that there are not a, there are not a lot of scriptures that talks about prophets being stoned or killed? certain passages, but it was a common practice. It was commonly known that this happened. So when the Lord says that they are building these tombs for the prophets and they decorate the monuments, evidently they are trying to make themselves feel better for something that their fathers had been doing. And yet, they fail to recognize that they have rejected the king of glory. They're building tools because they feel guilty and here they are rejecting the very one who came to pay for all of their sins. Jesus has accused them earlier in 23 as doing their deeds to be seen. All of the things that they are doing and have been doing has always been for show so that they can be looked at. On the outside, they looked good, but on the inside, there was nothing but decay. Even as they built tombs, and they would whitewash them and make them look good for those that would come for the Passover. They would come once a year for the Passover, and they would whitewash those tombs. They would clean them up. But the Lord says, but inside, it's still death. So they were very good at adorning Adorning the tombs. The word adorn in the Greek, the Greek word is cosmete. Cosmete. We get our word cosmetic from this word. To adorn. It oftentimes deals with the outside of something, when you adorn something. I don't care how much you may Adorn peas. I don't like them. Told you that before. I don't like peas. I don't care how you may butter them up, how you may change them. I don't like them. There are times when I can tolerate them, but I don't like peas. On the outside, it may look good, but it's what's on the inside. That matters to me. <laughs> I recall a time when my mom had some special meat for us. And we all sat down at the table and it looked good and oh, this looks good. And they dug in, everybody ate. And as soon as they took a bite, everybody said, Liver! <laughs> Eat it. I don't like liver. Today, as being a married man, I make things that I like. Peas and liver are not one of them. The religious leaders are always dressing things up to make it look good, but still on the inside, it was not 
They would whitewash the tombs, but they failed to recognize that it was on the inside. And the Lord says, it is important that you clean the inside of the cup. Many people are busy cleaning the outside, but the inside needs to be dealt with. Many of the prophets were not given proper burials. They would be just tossed to and fro, and yet we look at the religious leaders now feeling guilty Building tombs, and the Lord says you build tombs of the prophets because of what your fathers have done. And they had even said, if we were living back in the days of our father, we wouldn't, excuse me, we wouldn't have done what they, had, what they did. We wouldn't have done it. We wouldn't have done that. And the Lord says that you show that you are connected, that you're guilty because you acknowledge that you come from the same group. In the Old Testament, a lot of scriptures, there are not a lot of scriptures that talks about prophets being stoned. But do you not know that a prophet that was to be stoned was a false prophet, the Lord says. If a false prophet came on the scene, their death was to be from stoning. No matter how many tombs they tried to enshrine, they still stood guilty. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 30, there are, some there are some texts and some verses in the Old Testament that ties into this particular verse, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them and shedding blood. Because of the time, I'm not going to be able to read them, but let me just give you a few of the scriptures so that you can do your own reading for those writing them down. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 and verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 30. And Jeremiah 26, verses 20 through 24. Talks about some of the prophets that had been killed. In verse 31, it says, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. There is a kinship through blood, not only of blood, but there's also a spiritual relationship that they have. I am convinced that parents who do not teach their children the ways of God, the children will follow the pattern of the parents. The children are going to follow what they see in the home. I am convinced today that many children who are growing up and the next generation are repeating many of the things of the parents. Unless the parent begins to instill in the lives of their children the word of God, we are going to, con to continue to see a perpetuation of evil and that which is wrong. It takes a parent of teaching their children the word of God and bringing those children to give an ear to what God says. It requires this. It requires it. And what we see in the passage here is we see the, the religious leaders carrying out the same pattern as their parents, and yet they think that they are okay. How is it that they can 
not see the wrongs of their fathers, or they can see the wrongs of their fathers, but not see their own wrongs. How is it that they missed the king of glory? How is it that they missed all of the, the things that Christ was doing? How, how is it that they did not get it right? It was because there was a heart of rejection. They did not want to adhere to what the Lord was saying. So you see, when you look at something through the lens of hatred, you are going to not see much of anything. If you're only looking through the lens of hatred and the lens of, of that which is evil and wrong, you're not going to see much good in anything. And this is how they viewed things, always with a skeptical eye, always from the lens of hatred. But, oh, my goodness, when Christ came on the scene, they should have been saying, oh, is this the one? But they're saying, who does he think he is? He's more popular with the people than we are. So they were interested in making tombs pretty and making themselves look good at the expense of losing their very soul. Point number two, got to move on. Completing our acts for judgment. Completing our acts. A-C-T-S for judgment. It's verses 32 through 36. The Lord says, fill up then. Fill up. What does that mean, fill up? In the NIV, it means bring to completion. It is complete. Or it's another way of Jesus saying, then prove me right. Prove me right. In 1 Thessalonians, will someone please quickly find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. Whoever finds it first, just read it. 1 Thessalonians 2, 16. Bible scholars, 1 Thessalonians 2, 16. All right, Sister Florence. In their efforts, Paul said, in, in what, to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Trying to keep the word of God from getting to the people that needs to hear it. And the Lord said they have been heaping up. And the Lord is saying for these religious leaders, they have been carrying out these, the plans of the fathers. They have been keeping people from hearing. And all they're doing is that they are heaping up and they are bringing to completion a judgment that is going to overwhelm them. The scribes and Pharisees have been doing and living up to everything that their fathers had been doing. And the Lord is telling them, not only have I sent you and will send you prophets, you're going to kill some, you're going to chase them from town to town, you're going to destroy them. So he says, I want you to fill up then, complete what your fathers have actually started. The scribes and Pharisees are living up to what their fathers have done. They're carrying out their tradition. When Elijah had said that he was the only prophet, in other words, the, he is saying that there was a pattern that had been established that the lives of the prophets were always at stake and always at risk from those of the religious community. Because why? They preached the word of God and the people didn't want to hear what they had to say. Elijah speaks on this. You, you have one of the prophets being stoned and killed because he preached the word of the almighty God. Judgment often comes when there is a rejection of God's word. And this is taking place with the religious leaders. The Lord calls them 
vipers, snakes, you brood of vipers. And if you go back to Matthew 3, 7, you have to go back there now. You'll find in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, as well as twelve thirty four, when John the Baptist called those religious leaders coming to him, brood of vipers. And then Jesus in chapter 12 says, you brood of vipers. And here again, it was a way of calling, he just said, you're snakes. Why? It was because their, their premise was to always, always reject what the Lord had been doing. The fathers carried out abuses and killings. They continue that trend. And Jesus would ultimately be the one that they killed. Don't forget that as the Lord is telling them this, just within a short time, it's going to be him that's going to be on the cross because they had rejected him and said, we want him dead. And they were able to convince the people to say, we want this person by the name of Barabbas, not Christ, we want Barabbas. Rather than Jesus, we want him. While just a, sh- a short time before, the people were saying, ah, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they were so co- able to convince the people that they said, Call for Barabbas. And the people said, we want Barabbas. And Pilate says, well, then why? What has this man done? And rather than answering, they would just shout all the louder, give us Barabbas. The world today calls for Barabbas rather than Christ. It is, it is something that the world yearns for. They yearn for something other than. Christ. They yearn for those that are causing insurrection and want words of encouragement and nice things to be said, but not Christ. Verse number 35 says, so that some of, let me go back to 34, therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that some, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Let me just say something briefly regarding this matter of Zechariah. Many commentators are. There's some confusion or not agreement who this Zachariah is. Some, and based on Matthew and the name that he gives, it would be Zechariah the prophet in the book that we have. But there's no history that Zechariah died in this way. In the Old Testament, Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. There is a person that was called Zechariah who was the priest, who was the son of Jehoiada, the priest. He, in fact, was killed in the, uh, between the sanctuary and the, in the altar. He was killed, and it is believed that possibly it is him that they have in view as the person that was killed. But there is some confusion, so there's not necessarily agreement in regards to which Zechariah. There is another Zechariah right before the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. But see, that's future, so the Lord must not be referring to that because that one, Zechariah, has not yet died. 
So there's not complete agreement, but many of them believe that it comes from Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 20 and through 22. It's believed that it's referring to the Zechariah there, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who was killed by King Joash in the temple courts. It's believed that possibly this is the one. You see, in the Bible, when the Bible mentions son, it doesn't always necessarily mean the next son, it could mean the grandson, it could mean the great nephew, it could mean a host of individuals. So there's not agreement on who this Zechariah actually is. But it's believed that when it says from Abel, he would be from Genesis the first, and since in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles is the last book there, it is possibly from the very beginning of Abel, you killed the prophets all the way to the last one that was seen. Zechariah is possibly whom he is referencing. So I'll just throw that out there for you. When the Lord speaks of the, the matter of on you is coming all the judgment, we must understand that from the context and the idea that God's forgiveness and love has a limit. So when we think about the fullness of time, you see, it was the Israelites, those from Judah, who finally went to Babylon into captivity because from generation to generation, they continued to disobey God. So when we speak about and think of God saying, up on you will fall all of the judgment, it means that you will finally have to pay all the things that I have been trying to keep you from doing. So it was Nebuchadnezzar who came and pulled into captivity by God allowing him the Jude, the, those from Judah. Prior to that, the Assyrians had taken the Israelites. So when you think about God's forgiveness, you've got to keep in mind, when the Lord says, my spirit will not always strive with man, or a person says, I've been getting away with this for a long time. Be careful because things are being measured up. Things are actually being built up so that eventually you're going to have to deal with maybe more consequence than you had expected. You see, God gives time for people to repent. He gives time for people to, to stop what they're doing in order to accept what the wonderful grace of God gives. God gives forgiveness and love and compassion. But when that is always pushed aside, finally God's judgment comes. And then ultimately... The final judgment for them came even in the fact that the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. The Lord saw this. He says, oh, I, I, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood? How have I, I, I've always wished that you would come. The Israelites were, were, were ones that would always run from Christ. But you see... The chickens, when they have danger to the chicks, they run to their mother for protection. They, and the mother's wings provides a shelter for them. And the Lord said, I, I was calling you because I wanted you to come to me for protection, but you would not. You wouldn't come. And so, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, see, your house is left to you desolate. It's left to you empty. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is going to be leaving. He's going to be going to the cross. 
And oh, at this last moment as he's going to leave the temple, it's a reflection also of when the Holy Spirit in the book of Ezekiel, I believe chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit left the temple, when God's presence left the temple. You will note in the very next chapter, verse 1, where the Bible says he left the temple. We never want to be at a place where the Lord leaves the temple. As I bring this to a conclusion. The Lord has been, for the three years, extending his hands and his arms. And it comes a a time, and it comes to the point where we have to consider... How long will the Lord continue to extend his arm when people keep saying no? If we know that we have to die one day, if we know that our time is coming to an end, and the Lord has been extending his arm and extending, what happens to those who have pushed him away and continue to push him away? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Church, oh people, I long to gather you as a mother gathers her chicks. It is the Lord lamenting over what's going to come to Jerusalem. It's the Lord lamenting over what's going to come to people who will not accept his love. It is not out of anger that God calls people, but out of love. And so here we find That the Lord says to them that their destiny would be hell. But that's not what the Lord made for people. He made heaven and he made people to be with him. But he is not going to force anyone. And so the Lord in this final part is lamenting over the people that just won't come. What keeps people from coming? Because we don't know the time, nor the hour, nor the day when the Lord will come, we have a responsibility to share because we never know who's going to come. So don't give up sharing. But, oh, be very, very careful to share the word of God. Be careful to do it with compassion. you got to come to God now. I've been praying for you a long No, no, I've been praying for you. Oh, I wish you would come to the Lord. His hands are, his hand is extended. Would you come? Would you come? In the end, we know that the Lord is the one who wins. He's the one who calls. He's the one that will be the final judge. Don't you know that you are in a wonderful place this morning? To know that God has given you the privilege and the opportunity to know him and to serve him. And yet he gives warning of judgment Because there's a love, there is a love for people to say, don't, don't, stop, come, come to me. And he does it with passion and love. But yet he does it with earnestness. In these seven woes, it brings to completion the fullness of what God was doing. And the Lord says, the measure has come to the completion. It is now full. It is now full. Would you stand to your feet? Let me ask you this as we conclude. Have you given the Lord priority in your life? Has he been beckoning you to come to him and and have you responded? 
Or do we still say we're okay not recognizing that the Lord has work that he's still doing and wanting to do in our very lives? Lord, we're praying today that we will be mindful that there is a woe that's gone out to the church. To hear the word of God, to respond, to hear the prophets, to hear the sages, the wise men, to hear those that you have sent, to hear the word of God from those individuals that you have sent to the people. We're praying today that the people will hear. We're praying today that there will be a reckoning, a reckoning in the hearts and lives of people. Coming to terms that God is serious, means business. He loves people. Does not wish that any should perish. That all would come to the Lord. We're praying today that there will be a humbling and an acknowledgement of the will of God. May we know and understand that we must stand before the Lord. May we not be as the scribes and Pharisees who thought they were okay. But Lord, may we surrender and say yes to the will of the King. We give your name all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you.